Welcome to Good Morning, the podcast on a mission to open up the conversation around grief and loss with honesty and humour. Hosted by Sally and Imogen, we interview interesting guests to hear how losses shape their lives. Join us as we laugh, cry and drop the odd F-bomb. Welcome back to the Good Morning Podcast. Welcome. <laughs> How are you doing, Im? Oh, good week? Yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> I was just about to lie and say yes, but nah, far from it. We What's had going um, on? good old gastro went around the daycare, so caught a bit of that and I was bedridden. Like I have not felt that sick in so long. It's actually the first time I've properly been really sick since I lost my mum. And I just turned into a child that needed my mum, which was kind of weird and unexpected. But, yeah, it's weird. Like Bring things up. You just want the comfort oh, of you. And- I just wanted to call her and her to tell me, like, do this, do that. Oh, poor darling, you know, you'll get better. And it's like you couldn't, I couldn't do that, you know. So I just lay in bed feeling super sorry for myself. How are you feeling now? I'm okay and now. Yeah. I'm okay. Yes, yes. It really knocks you out, gastro. It's the worst. I've only had it once, but I remember being like spewing so my guts whacked. up. Yeah. It's too much information. But yeah, it was not <laughs> fun. So yeah, I had that. And what else? Oh, I had some letters from the coroner come on Friday. Because, you know, when you're dealing with a suicide, you have to also deal with the coroner, which is not fun. And so that just brings up a whole lot of stuff again and re-traumatizes you yeah I was getting into quite a bad bad headspace I had um my bestie L came back because she's been living in Melbourne she's going to be our next guest on the show so yeah. excited for that so she came back from Melbourne um last week so it was really nice to have her here and we had a good catch up on on Saturday night and <clears throat> just sort of talking through everything and I hadn't caught up with her properly in ages and I was just like I'm not in a good place not in a good headspace and she was like, right, well, what are you, like, what are you doing? What are, what are your days look like? Like, what's going on for you? And I think I've sort of figured out that I just spend too much time in my head going over everything. And I think it's a, such a common thing to do with suicide loss. And you just, yeah, re-traumatising yourself and having all those sorts of, like, negative flashbacks and thought patterns and things. She's like, you need to give yourself a break, like switch mm. off from it. I'm like, it's easy to say. It's a bloody good idea, though. Bloody good idea, but just how? And so yesterday I had my first day of really practising, like, do not go there. I'll tell, I'll tell you what I did. So now I've got this whiteboard you know like a whiteboard rubber thing yeah so an imaginary whiteboard (laughs) sounds so weird imaginary whiteboard rubber that whenever I get a really negative image in my mind I get out my imaginary (laughs) whiteboard rubber and scrub it out whatever the image is or whatever the thought is and it kind of it kind of works I'm constantly having to rub out my mind (laughs) but did you find that it helped it helped yeah and I kind of had a better sleep as a result last night and that's great it's just it's it's a lot of work. It's constant work, but I've got, got to, to I've got to do it. it. I've got and to do it. It it will take time. It will take training. But yeah. I think it is training. You've yeah, got to like retrain train your brain to get out of this traumatized place. Because like it's so easy just to think about it and let it consume you. It, your it is easy, and, it, and it's quite addictive to yeah. stay in that place. 
you know, where you should be feeling this and you should be feeling like, you know, all of this negative stuff because how could you not? But you actually need to get yourself out of that to be able to move forward. So I've been dealing with that. It's been a great week. What about oh, you? Em, that's a lot to... <laughs> it's a lot, but yeah. You're dealing gracefully with it all though. Oh, thanks, Sal. I don't know if internally is very graceful, <laughs> but yeah, I've had a shower and I've, you know, keep going. You just celebrate keep going. those things, mate. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, the small things. Yeah. Yeah. My week's been all right. Not really been up to much. Just been working. I'm freelance life now. So been working part time and doing some freelance gigs. Yeah. Busy, just busy. Busy and just trying to get it all done in the run up to Christmas. And yeah, I can't actually believe it's Christmas. Like this year is, I think everyone is probably ready to wrap 2020. How many days is it now? It's just, oh my God, like just around the corner. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm all right. I've had a few griefy days, but I'm doing all right. Good. Good, Had a pretty, pretty okay week. Good. Just trying to actually limit my alcohol. One thing I have been trying to do is limit the amount of wine that I'm drinking because every time we chat, like, it's the anxiety days oh, that we cannot gosh. handle, isn't it? It's the days yeah. where, like, I'm feeling super anxious. And you and I have both had some of those. And I remember the other day I was saying I was super anxious. You're like, what have you done? Like, what what did you do the night before? Have you had a, had a drink? And I'd gone out to dinner with friends and I had a couple couple of wines, like no more than two. It's the alcohol. Yeah, for sure. Like, it makes you so anxious. And the other yeah, – yeah, it really does. The other night I went out for a dinner and had, you know, quite a few wines and I had such a terrible sleep and my – like my anxiety was so high and I just woke up the next morning and was I was like you know what this needs to stop I think I've yeah. been self-medicating with wine since mum passed away it's been which good, is so normal so normal but it's and then with lockdown you know I would get to the point where I would finish work at five especially in winter I'd finish work and I'd just have a wine to kind of break up you know oh, break the day up but I was having like one to two glasses a night and I know that's not a lot you know I wasn't neck in a bottle but still (laughs) um I actually am like okay I feel like I'm at that point now where I can stop it like I don't need the crutch as much but Mm. I I am aware that it is making me feel really anxious and especially because I'm still dealing with a lot of things to do with my mum's estate and things that are out of my control dragging on yeah Yeah. I might feel like you know it's actually making my anxiety around that worse so so yeah so this week I've been trying to navigate just not you know trying to limit the amount of wine I'm consuming and it's not like it's actually such a habit now I'll like mm. reach for a glass of wine. It's bec- it's becoming a habit again, which is why I'm like, okay, I need to like, you know, pull it back, pull it back. But yeah, so that's been a big thing for me this week, like the anxiety and alcohol related anxiety. It's, it's so true though. And I, I mean, if you didn't ask me that question, like what, what was different yeah. to do with yesterday? Like, why do you think you're a bit more anxious? I wouldn't have put the two and two together. Like I know obviously drinking doesn't help, but I've really only had like one and a half to two glasses and I, mm. it threw me out the yeah. next day. So if anyone else is like dealing with really bad ang- anxious days and they are noticing like they're having a couple of wines, like trust me, it is the wine that does not help with the anxiety when you're grieving. Might be worth just seeing whether, yeah. you know, cutting it out helps to ease it. And in tell us who we've got on the show today. Who did we who did we sit down and talk to? We have got Lee Vanderhorst and we're so excited to have Lee on the show. Lee is the author of 
Without My Mum, which is a book that both Sal and I gravitated towards as soon as we lost our mum because like we've spoken about before, there is there aren't a lot of resources out there for young women navigating this type of loss. And it was such a great chat and we were so honoured to have her on the show and it is a very, very good episode to listen to for anyone navigating new motherhood as a mum without their mum, even for, you know, young women who have that overwhelm of trying to figure out if they want to even become a mum since they've lost their mum because that can be such a hard thing to deal with as well, you know, when you lose your mum and you haven't had a kid yet Mm -hmm. and you think it's just too hard. Like how am I ever going to do that? without my mum and so yeah this is what the chat is all about and there's so much to take away from it and and Lee is just yeah really strong fascinating woman like she's just yeah super strong and she's gone through it all and yeah she lost her mum to cancer and that kind of spurred her on to want to share her experience it did. which is how without my mum came to be and I think the book is just actually about to be reissued and updated So she'll talk a little bit about her experience and kind of what the book covers, but it's a really insightful chat. Let's jump into it. Welcome, Lee. Hey, Lee. Hi. Thank you for having me. Honestly, I'm really, really happy to be here to chat to you girls. We're very excited to have you join us today, Lee. We're both massive fans of your book and we both read Without My Mum pretty much, I would say, within the first few months. Very early on. Early on after losing our mum. Wow, that's brave. I did a big chunk of like (laughs) buying self-help books and yours was one of them. So I'm so so glad and I, I think the main purpose of me making that book was I sort of had a picture of a woman who'd lost her mum wandering into a shop or looking online and just thinking, I need something, and maybe that would have popped up and helped them. So that's awesome. Well, that's very brave of you, though. <laughs> there isn't a great deal out there, really, I guess, in the motherless daughters category. Um, no. And what I really enjoyed about your book is how honest it is and open. So you talk about your own personal story and your struggles with grief and loss after losing your mum, but then you also mm. share really inspiring stories from other women across the world and tips and advice for motherless mums as well and for me it was a perfect combination of other stories which can be so comforting when you're experiencing grief and loss but then also some really practical tips as well so it was yeah Yeah. an amazing combination and it's a really easy book as well just to dip into. Thank you yeah that was I was hoping that that's how it would come across I didn't want it to be something that had to really sort of feel trapped in just something you could put on the bedside table pick up when you need it flick to that page read it again and put it down and think okay yeah I found <laughs> I'm it gonna be, I'm gonna be okay yeah. I found it great like when I was going to bed at night just to try and unwind a bit and you know get off my phone and, and read a bit of your mm. book and then fall asleep so it's, yeah it was that's that so kind good. of one that you can pick up and put down on your bedside table for sure yeah that's awesome but I also wanted to say to you girls I think what you're doing is fantastic just you know, normalizing grief and loss and trauma because it's so important for people to feel that what they're going through is normal because it feels so abnormal when you're feeling those feelings and you do start to wonder if there's something wrong with you and Mm -hmm. especially if you don't have anyone around you that you can relate to, which was my situation when my mum died. So Mm -hmm. good on you both for putting this podcast together and I just think you're going to help so many people who've lost someone and just need to be able to connect or 
you know, even those moments when I think, oh, that's what I felt like or mm. it's so important and talking is so important. That's oh, just, absolutely. Thanks, yeah. Lee. Thank you, Lee. And I guess you were a similar age to us when your mum passed. So Im was yep. 32 and I was yep. 33 and, and you were 32, weren't you? Um, yep. And it is an age where not a lot of your peers have experienced parent loss or a significant loss, really. And I, yep. I remember reading in your book, you were talking about feeling sad and and depressed and Mm. I could really relate to that and I remember going to see my doctor and saying like I feel really low and do I need to go on medication I'm not sure you know and my doctor said this is normal this is (laughs) normal Mm. it's it's no surprise that you're feeling like this because you know what you've gone through but it is a confusing feeling because you're like I feel so sad and low am I depressed or is it grief like Mm. yeah and I I think we're not we're not encouraged to sit in that either I think the world it moves so fast well it has it has done the last year certainly slowed down for everyone but generally everything moves so fast and if you can't keep up I guess people may look at there being something wrong with you and you may start to think there's something wrong with you and there's that sort of rush of you know well I mean I'm feeling so sad but I I feel that I you know the pressure I really need to come out of this like what can I do and I guess that's why we we look for alternative ways where honestly the best the best and only thing you can do is just allow it's time you know and Mm. whether we're not necessarily encouraged or supported to have that time to be able to just it's it's such a process and and it's different for everybody that time you know it takes Everyone just goes through it so differently. So I think that that desire to fix it, we, we want to fix everything quickly so we can just sort of move on and get on with it. But also there, it is such a horrible, painful trauma to sit in when you've lost someone so dear to you that, you know, I guess you can't be blamed for wanting to just try and fix it and get rid of that pain because it just, it's just so horrible. Yeah, we definitely do want to speed up the process. I know I did the same thing as you, Sal, in the beginning. I went to the doctor and I kind of discussed going on medication and what that looked like. And I have been on mm. anti-anxiety medication before, but my doctor said to me, she said, it's going to be a Band-Aid because what you're feeling is normal. And then mm. once you come off that medication, it's all going to hit you anyway because you have to go through this process of you being do. in the depths of, of you know feeling that depression and, and grief. So I think... Yeah. It's great to have that if people need to to go on that medication to get a bit of a break. But I do think it is, yeah, a a Band-Aid sometimes. You do have to sit in it. And I've been looking into, very recently, I've been looking into somatic therapy, which is fascinating. And that's based on if, if you don't process things and if you don't allow the time to let things rise basically out, it will find a way. And that can be in disease or breakdown or you know anything the body is a powerful thing and if you you know if you suppress for too long it will find a way out so yeah I'm a real advocate for as horrible and painful and daunting it is to imagine you have to you know almost shut the doors in the house with nobody there and allow yourself you know a good three hours to just sit and find that that place where it's really deep and painful it actually will be good for you in the long run. So you lost your mum to cancer when you were in your early 30s, which is a similar age to when Emma and I lost our mums. Can you tell us what happened? My mum, Joanne, she, I'll never forget the moment when she knocked on my door and it was a really hot summer evening in April 2005. I had a three-month-old at the time. 
And she looked like, I remember my husband opened the door and I was sitting on the couch. I just put my baby, just settled. And um, I saw her face and she was white and she'd never looked like that in her life. So I thought, oh gosh. And she came in and she sat down and she just sort of said, I've got something to tell you. And she said she had cancer. And I, I think that from then, I think everything went silent, you know, in those moments that when news can knock you and you just sort of go a bit like, yeah. and she was, you know, the healthiest person I knew. So it was definitely nothing I would have ever imagined that would have happened. But the prognosis then, so that was bowel cancer. The situation would be that she'd have a section of her bowel removed and she'd have to recover from that. And then they do sort of, you know, some, some stints of chemo, but the prognosis was looking pretty good. They'd obviously check all of the lymph nodes and so forth. So she did all of that and she basically got a clean bill of health after probably I'd say a good six months after having all of the therapy. And then almost a year to that date, it returned and it had returned in the liver, so secondary cancer. And I'd known that that didn't have really a very good outlook. So that next time, it was almost an identical situation (laughs) that occurred because she'd rung my husband to see if I was going to be home that night and told him why. So he knew already what was going to be happening that evening. So he was sort of saying to me, oh, you're not going out anywhere. I never went anywhere. I had little babies. I, I think I went to yoga like once a week. That was the, you know, the excitement of my life. So I thought it was odd that he'd said, are you going anywhere? And I said, no, I'm home. And again, the knock on the door again, she was white as a ghost. She walked in and I thought, oh, no. And she, and it was worse because she'd said it had returned and this time terminal. And I just I couldn't believe it. That must have been so stressful, thinking that, you know, she was getting better to then find out more bad news. It was a real roller coaster ride. The entire duration of her illness was three years, and it was absolutely horrific. Just good news, the bad news, the good news, the bad news. And it just, it's exhausting. And when you're sort of trying to support somebody in that situation, you know, there's just... you're just taking on so much. It's it's just so happy sometimes and then so devastating. And then there's just all these questions that you wish someone could answer for you. You know, well, when, when will she die? And how will she die? Is she going to, am I going to find her dead in her home one day or will she be in a hospital? Like I just, I couldn't wrap my head around any of it. And of course, I'd never experienced anything like that. So I didn't know what to expect. Well, it's so hard to know. Did she have any more treatment during that time? So she did a lot of chemotherapy and as as tends to happen, sometimes they respond well, sometimes they don't. Towards the end though, so it's probably May, June, July 2008, it sort of really went downhill quick and I pretty much was staying with her at the time. My, my mum and my dad separated, I think in 2000. So I was staying with her, sort of trying to support her through that, and eventually, she went to the do- uh, went to the the oncologist for a checkup, and then was um, admitted into a hospital just for observation because she wasn't doing too well. And from that, they transferred her to palliative care. So I guess for me, that took a bit of a, a load off me, knowing that she was being cared for. She she didn't necessarily want to leave home, but she was also becoming a little bit afraid of. I guess, her own journey with it all. And so she moved to palliative care and I pretty much stayed with her most days as long as I could. But the time we lived, you know, a good hour away from where she was. So I was sort of really navigating how to be a mum as well as 
be the daughter to my mum, which, to be honest, at that point, that's all I really wanted to do was just be by her side. So I, I managed to do that as much as I could with a lot of support around me, and which is just fantastic. I'm so grateful for that. And, yeah, she passed away literally the very early hours of the day after my eldest son's birthday. I feel she did that purposely. I feel she would have never forgiven herself to actually pass away on his birthday. And I was there when she died, which was, I think, my biggest goal because I just couldn't imagine her dying alone or anything like that. And I knew I'd sort of, you know, some nursery friends at the time had sort of told me what that looks like in a palliative center with the medications. And, you know, she was unconscious, so there wasn't any pain. But it was amazing because she woke up. She'd been unconscious for pretty much 24 hours and she woke up just before she passed away. And I was sitting there holding her hand and I was leaning forward on the chair and she was lying on her left side and she opened her eyes and I just thought, and she just looked at me and she was muttering something. She hadn't spoken to me in about two days, I think. And I, I, I I I I don't think I kept saying to her, I don't think I said to her, what are you saying? But I just let her sort of mutter. And then a tear rolled out of her eye and she smiled and then she just went. And um, it's amazing. It's so long ago when I talk about it like that with you guys, I get a bit teary. But, um, you know, it's it's the most amazing experience to go through. And yet the the minute she went, I knew she she was just, she was not there. And it's just incredible. There's a body, but there is a soul to us I think and it had it had completely disappeared so it's such an odd experience but my biggest goal was to be there for her when she passed away so I was so glad and you know I I guess in that time too I was just telling her how much she was loved and it was time to rest and you know all the things just support her so yeah it was an amazing thing but then you know that that's it then and then there was just that flow on effect of just feeling so devastated and um that in itself is a whole other you know uh, experience that you have to process so it's it's just so huge it really is and it's interesting when you say after she passed it didn't seem like her because Sally Steele, who's one of our previous guests, said the exact same thing when she yeah. she was yeah. there when her dad passed away, and she said that once he had passed, it was like it, it wasn't him. Like it, it, she yeah. could tell that his spirit had gone, and it's, it's interesting that you say the same thing because Im and I both lost our mum suddenly, so we weren't yeah. sort of there. For, right there. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, it's hard for us to imagine what that must be like oh. but, um, but we have heard it is like an you know it's an honor to be present mm. for that moment of losing yeah. loved one yeah and I, I think yeah I certainly look back and be and and I'm definitely very 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 relieved that I was able to to do that and I could have missed it because I um I was encouraged to go off and have a little nap so I'd literally been sitting with her for hours now like days basically and um I think it was about I don't know maybe midnight and one of the nurses had said look we've made a bed over the hall we don't know what's happening, but we'll certainly let you know if we need you. And I thought, oh, okay. But oddly, and I and I, I remember looking at my watch and it had ticked past midnight, so I felt this relief that it wasn't my son Jack's birthday anymore. And that must have been enough for me to just close my eyes. And But I woke suddenly and I had a really, really bad stomach ache. And then I heard this groaning 
And I was like, oh my gosh. So I, I rushed out and ran over to the, you know, like across the hall into her room and that was her. And she'd been, um, I think she'd, I think, I can't remember. I think she was in a bit of, must have been in a bit of pain because I'd called the nurses and they, they came in and gave her more morphine, which they'd asked me to leave the room for because they'd turned her and so forth. But then after they'd turned her, she, they could tell that she was sort of entering a different phase. So they raced in uh, to find me and said, you need to come in now. And that's when all the process of her actually passing away took place. So, yeah, I just find it's just amazing. I think if you can put faith into the universe or whatever it is, things can unfold sort of as I guess you hope that they do in those situations. But yeah, it was an absolute honour. And to be able to give her that support, you know, I know that she could hear me and, you know, I was stroking her hair. So it's comforting for her. She didn't seem to be in any pain, you know, seeing her smile, you know, it's all, that gives me some comfort as well, sort of knowing that that's how she left the world. So I love that she smiled right before she let go. Beautiful. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I know. And her eyes, you know, just looking at me, it was just, yeah. But that was another thing when she died, her the, her eyes completely changed. It's just, it's it's amazing. Her eyes went, you know, it was, again, like I guess our souls are in our eyes and her eyes sort of lost that connection. It was, yeah, amazing. I'd always thought that I'd be, if I were in that situation, I'd be so frightened of like a dead body Same. or frightened of death. But people that Same. we have spoken to, it's it, it hasn't been that, that case for them. I think, look, maybe we can relate it to birth, you know, giving birth. Maybe we just know, you know, it's a primal thing. We know what to do. And I guess in birth and in death, it's bigger than us, you know, and it's not necessarily about us. So there must be that thing that we can never call on ever again (laughs) unless we're in situations like that where naturally these things just take, you know, they happen and we seem to know how to do the right thing. And, yeah, it's it's incredible. I hope I I never have to go through it again. And, Lee, I can relate to you so much, especially in your book about being a new mum and losing your mum. Unfortunately, yeah, my daughter was – nine months old when I lost my mum. Um, and also in your book, you explain how the experience of becoming a new mum was quite traumatic. And Mm. I can also relate to that. My mum was Mm -hmm. still alive when I, when I gave birth, but I had quite a traumatic birth. And then I guess I was like hoping for all those feelings that you were, where it was going to be, you know, a really lovely experience and the connection with your baby was going to be, you know, beautiful and all the things that you imagine and you read about. And it was quite the opposite for me. And um, that was really hard to navigate. And I think I did fall into quite heavy postnatal anxiety and depression Mm. Um, as a result, and then losing my mum after that, it kind of just <laughs> was one thing oh, after another. Over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I probably suffer anxiety regardless. I'm sort of one of those people. Um, I've learned over the years, and definitely with maturity, that you just can't control everything. And I think when you lose someone as well, it teaches you a lot about what matters, and you learn a lot about your own self. But definitely having my first son, Jack absolutely through me and I, I I remember sitting with him I was holding him and because we were the first of everybody that had had a baby family friends so we were like it was like I was I, I can picture the room the the night 
that we'd had him and it, the visiting. I mean, the nurses must have thought we were crazy because my husband and I were so young. I think I was like, oh, it's terrible. I should remember. But I think I was like 22 <laughs> or 23 when I had him. Wow, and my husband was like a year and a half younger. So we're just, it was ridiculous. And we had all these people in our room, like, you know, grandparents and, and our own parents and friends and brothers-in-laws and sister-in-laws. And, and he cried and everyone stopped talking and looked at me. And I remember thinking, what? <laughs> and, um, I, and, and I actually didn't know what to do. And I think, I guess it was probably the fear of like, I guess you think, well, I probably should breastfeed, but then I'm not going to, you know, whip my boob out with like, you know, these million people just suddenly staring at me. But it was also just this fear of, of not like not knowing what to do with this new human that I had and that kind of played on for a few months after having him and I I even was at a point where when I would and he, and he was a bit difficult as a baby too it was very difficult to settle but when I'd finally settle him I'd literally just sit on a couch and wait I'd be frightened that if I made lunch I might wake him or you know if I flushed the toilet it might wake him so I would act like I would just sit there mm. <laughs> And I would just wait because I didn't know what else to do, which of course, you know, I probably should have had a nap or, you know, even think of taking him for a walk or something to help settle him. But none of those things made sense to me. It was about or trying to get some sort of routine because that's what I felt was important. But in order to get that routine, you know, our house had to be, you, could, you know, you'd hear a pin drop, which is no way to live. And and I sort of, yeah, I rolled like that for quite some time. And I think, I guess my husband probably thought, where's my wife gone? But he was terrific about it all. And I never went and actually had any discussion. You know, I guess I was too, uh, I, I like to control things too much in order to go and see a doctor and say, look, I don't think I'm coping. I think over time I just found a way, but I wasn't necessarily, it wasn't a joyful time, unfortunately. And I think it was only in, when I had my second son that it actually felt like, oh, okay, well, this is going to be all right. I've done this before. And I certainly connected with him a lot more. But, you know, I think we can't preempt these things and you just have to, um, you have to accept the way that I think you feel about things. But I think there is definitely more conversation about that now. And it's okay if you don't go with the flow as the books and the magazines and the websites tell you. And I think it's wonderful that I guess nowadays I could probably get online and sort of type in, you know, I've just had a baby. I'm not feeling well. I'm not feeling happy. Why, you know, why is this? And I probably get hit with so much information. Whereas then, I mean, I don't even know if the internet was, was, I don't think it was a thing then. No, I don't think it would have been a thing. I was the same as you that I was like so regimented with the nap routine and like trying to get that third nap in in the day. And if I didn't have it, I was like a mental case. And I think like, you know, we do grieve our old self as well when you have a baby it's like I was grieving my old life I was grieving the freedom I was grieving you know being able to have a shower when I wanted one or eat oh I know know, there's so many things that you grieve when you're in your mum as well I know And, and and it takes so long to be able to like I guess sort of say to you know sort of say to yourself well you know what you you'll get that shower you just have to wait it's like I don't want to wait and and I mean I was too young that is so young and everyone was still partying and I was like, no, I can't. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. But, you know, yeah, it is It is what it is. And I think you just have to find a way. I think it's so important to be able to, now to just sort of honour the way you feel and find the best way to sort of support yourself. I often say to people, you know, how, how would you 
especially when anyone around me is struggling and I remind myself this a lot, what, how would you speak to that person and what would you offer them, you know, in terms of support? Do it, do that to yourself, you know, whereas back then, it was, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just relax or why can't I make lunch, you know, and it'd be like just the fear of hearing him go, eh. Yeah, oh, God, that noise. <laughs> yeah. And I think just it's just really important for new mums to let go of that expectation as well. You know, yeah. if you don't feel those feelings of joy in the immediate moment after having your baby, like I remember what the I had a um, emergency cesarean, but as soon as she came out, mm-hmm. I asked the um, the midwife to take her away. I couldn't look at her, and then I Fair felt enough. so yep. much guilt about that, and then I yep. felt horrible. And people were like, "Oh, how amazing is it when they come out?" I'm like, mm, "I actually no. couldn't even <laughs> hold my child." And how horrible am no. I as a mum? But I no, think- but you've also, I mean, you've got, you've got, like you said, a, an emergency cesarean. That's a whole other trauma in itself. And yeah. you know, in an immediate instance, you have to actually almost put that aside and welcome this new human. And mm. and that it's almost an impossible thing to do. We're only we are only human ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> I know we, this is a whole other podcast this one, but <laughs> we'll get back on to grief. Yeah. So, Lee, in your book, you talk about how even before your mum passed away, so when she was going through her illness, yeah. you talk about feeling grief that she would be missing out on those milestones and that you yeah. wouldn't have another birthday with her or another Christmas mm-hmm. with her. How did you navigate this um, anticipatory mm-hmm. grief? I think in the end, just basically not thinking about it because it was such a painful thought and it was something that I never would have imagined. You know, I, I think I often think about myself in high school and if someone had just sort of come up to me and said, oh, just to let you know when you're, you know, 32, your mum's going to pass away. It just would have been completely, you know, I couldn't have even imagined that. So I I, I think the only way I could, pro- well, not even, uh, not process that. The only way I could deal with that was to not think about it because it is such a painful thought. And when you're on that other side of it, you can't imagine it because they're still there. And I guess in a way you're thinking, that's not going to happen. Something, you know, something's going to come into place that's going to, you know, make this all better because we we fix everything all the time. Like we usually are able to fix everything. And I think even in that situation when all of the specialists will tell you that something is untreatable or not able to fix, you're still thinking away, no, we'll fix this somehow. And so there's that sort of, I guess, dream that that may be the eventuality that this will all go away. But I had to just not imagine. And she and I would speak of it every so often when I, when she was willing to. I certainly didn't really bring it up with her much. But, you know, she was sad about that and she was honest about the sadness about that. But she'd also, you know, I guess fill that sadness in with knowing that we are a good family and they are good kids and we're surrounded by good people. So I guess she knew that she would leave the world and have, I guess, this, you know, belief that things were going to be okay. And she knew my husband, which I guess also brings a lot of comfort in those situations. So, yeah, but it it is, it is a, it, it makes you very angry. There's a real case of why me? And yeah, I think, I really don't know how anyone is expected to kind of deal or process that, that eventuality because it's something that you don't want. So it's just way, it's just too big. It's so you've got to try and stay in the moment, don't you? I think if you do, you try do. And think 
into the future. It's just too frightening and unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. A doctor yeah. said to me um, once, stop, stop looking so far ahead. Just put yourself day to day or week to week and don't go any further one step at a time and that was really helpful because I and I really stuck to that because I'd find myself you know it's the 3 a.m wake up and you'd think what's your week look like okay cool leave it at that because that's all you can do yeah that is all you can do and especially being a new mom like (laughs) it's hard enough and having to deal with all of that on top of that yeah yeah it's it's a lot and and you know it's just a lot of heartache it, it actually does hurt. You can feel the hurt. And, it's a yeah, physical it's pain, isn't it? It is physical pain, yeah. And just, I guess you crave you crave joy and you crave a light, a lightness in your life. You know, it does come eventually, but it takes, it takes a long time. Mm. I think I struggle with that thought as well. Like being a mum, it's supposed to be a really joyous time, but we're also grieving our mum and it's mm. anything but joyous. And I do feel that too. Like, why me? Why couldn't yep. I have just, you know, be enjoying being a mum? Why do other people, you know, you do start to compare yeah. yourself. I think it's really common. Um, I, yeah. And I think because I think when you're a mum too, you know, you, you go through all these moments with your children that you're meant to be sharing with the special people in your life. And quite often, you know, I still have these moments now. You know, I've got a 20-year-old son and he's just, he's an outstanding human and, and she just absolutely adored him. They were very close. And I often think, gosh, you know, I just wish she could just sort of cruise on in for a day and just spend it with him and just really soak him up and just be so proud of him. And, you know, and, and then, but then I guess you got to, I guess, hope that there's some way they're doing that. I don't know how that is, but maybe there is a, a, a way that they're able to kind of check in on us and say, yep, you're doing well and I'm really happy with how that's going and and that brings me comfort I guess and and not something that I can prove personally but it's you know it's what gets me through those times that you wish they were there to experience things that are happening. Yeah I think so and just knowing that they're around somewhere looking down on us being a part of it in the spirit world or wherever they are. Whatever it is. Yeah but I do think as well like it takes a village to raise a child and that saying yeah. really irritates me because it's like well when you lose your mom you lose a huge chunk of that village and you just yeah it's, it's really hard I think honesty honesty is very very important in these situations and being able to have people around you that you, you don't fear being honest with and if you do need you know some advice or you're not coping or you need help, whether it be practical or physical, anything. You just, you have to be honest and no one's going to look down on you for that. It's just, they would want to help you. And often people don't know what you need. So, you know, you will sometimes have to reach out, but it's really important to be honest with people. Otherwise you're just digging yourself a deeper hole. Yeah. And we do have a tendency to just take it all on ourselves and not ask for help. And I think our pride gets in the way as well. So yeah, it's important to reach out. I agree. Your boys were only little at the time. How did you explain to them what had happened? I kind of feel as though I didn't actually handle it well because, I mean, they were three years, five years and eight years. So I, I didn't really understand what they would need to know. And I also didn't want them to be frightened of my mum. They certainly saw changes in her because... Um, as anyone who's been through that cancer process, the ca- cancer literally takes everything from a person and they're just left, you know, looking quite unwell. And they, they, they'd sort of say to me, oh, is Nanny okay? And I'd say, yeah, she's just a bit sick, but she'll be okay, which was, I, I think at the time, the only way I knew how to do it because I just, I actually didn't feel as though I would be able to cope 
having a conversation with them about death before she died because it was so painful for me anyway. But also, I guess my my take on it, which is only my my sort of thoughts, was that they they wouldn't be able to deal with it or process it. So they knew that there was a lot of sickness and illness and that I would be coming and going a lot. They would visit with her, which was absolutely, you know, I mean, so, so difficult taking young children to a quiet, you know, clinical hospital. And that was very stressful, but I, you know, I did it up until sort of when I couldn't anymore. And towards the end though, because I was staying with her predominantly, they really saw very little of her. And I've battled with this because, especially with my oldest son, because I've sort of looking back, I think at the time it felt like the right thing to do because she was becoming confused and it would have been more confusing for them and it might have made for awkward moments. And I guess there was only so much I could deal with as well. But I would visit her and, you know, she would ask about them and I would tell her sort of what they're doing and and then I would go back and do the same sort of similar thing with them. But they certainly didn't know that she was going to die. So when she did die, my husband pretty much took over all of that and he was very, very good at explaining everything to them, you know, or it seemed that way because my memory of them coming to me for the first time after sort of, uh, well, I'd, you know, I'd walked away and gone back to her house and that's where they all came to see me after she died. They were so lovely and they picked flowers and there were hugs and, you know, I remember them rubbing my back and, you know, all the beautiful things little boys do. And I, Jack was certainly, I could see that he was probably most aware of what had happened. But, you know, I mean, when you think about a little three-year-old, you know, he, he certainly can't process things clear enough to know the, the impact of what's happened. And, and I, I actually, I remember at her funeral that my three-year-old saw one of our friends walk in and we're all quietly sitting there sort of waiting for everything to begin. And he stood up and he yelled, ah, oh, oh, look, look, there's Brad. And he's like waving, you know. So he had no idea of the sort of, you know, the sadness and the impact. But as well, I guess it sort of brings a bit of a lightheartedness to it all. But I don't know if I would have done it differently. I don't know whether I should have. I don't know how anyone else does it. I think I did it how I felt was right at the time. But the flow-on effect was certainly traumatic for them because they had to wrap their head around the idea that she wasn't coming back. And I had to have discussions about that with them which hurt me too so navigating that grief with them after the effect was very very difficult and there was never any warning of when something would come up so it was literally just deal with stuff as it happened and there were certainly lots of cuddles and lots of tears and lots of honesty and lots of sharing beds and whatever it took and I think, you know, they obviously move on a lot quicker than we would, but, you know, they, they still feel that they know her now. And I think it's important to keep that memory alive and keep the photos around the house. But yeah, it's definitely makes it, I think, I mean, I guess it would be very hard too without kids. So I don't think there's an easier way to go through it, but I think the traumatic part of it with kids is just the constant rehashing, you know, over and over and you know, even because they are kids, they're very honest in what they say and they'll be, you know, I think out of nowhere, they'll sort of come up to you and say, you know, why did Nanny die? And you think, oh, no, you have to 
we have to go through this again. So, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if there's any proper way to go through it, to be honest. And Lee, your fourth son, Oliver, was born after your mum passed away. Mm -hmm. How was the experience of having your fourth child different without your mum? So different. Mum was the one who, well, I was induced with the first three, so it was very organised, which, of course, you know, someone like me, I love that. Um, So mum was the one who would do the night, stay over at our home with our kids and then we would give her the call, the babies arrived and she'd bring them in, you know, all fed and bathed and they looked beautiful and everything. And in this instance, I actually went into labour on my own, which was the whole other experience. And it was a late night call to a friend who had to come over, I think it was like midnight or 1am. So yeah, sort of that feeling of bothering somebody, which is ridiculous. You know, I guess apologising that I've gone into labour during the evening. Would you mind coming over and <laughs> sitting with my kids while I go and have a baby? And then, you know, and then it's my husband sort of having to leave me to go collect the children and bring them in and visit their new brother. And and then there is just that void, you know. And I think it's when you're sort of home and you're nursing the baby. And mum was mum would always sort of as soon as I'd fed them, she'd have her arms out immediately. She'd do the burping. You know, it was just lovely. So. That was a real big difference. I don't believe that it put me in any kind of deep sadness or anything. I think I'd had enough time in between her death and having Ollie that I was able to sort of, you know, preempt that there'd be a big difference in it. But it was definitely a void and and it and it always will be, you know, with all of them that there's just that there's not that experience that they can have with her. But I remember the labour, it was because I uh, went into labour naturally I remember a point where I actually just sort of said to myself I guess like calling out for her to help me get through it because it was really a very different labour and quite a quite a painful not a fun one actually and yeah I remember just sort of thinking mum you know if you're there please help me I've got to get through it. like I've just got to get this thing out you know he was gosh he was like 10 pound four or 10 pound five he was huge wow that is yeah. huge that's huge and yeah and I, I I sort of yeah I remember calling on that and yeah and, and I mean you know I guess I kind of just did it after that so whether yeah again maybe she did help me but yeah definitely there was definitely a massive difference between the two yeah I think that's a huge uh, anxiety that a lot of women may experience if they haven't become a mum yet and they lose their mum. The thought of becoming a mum can be so overwhelming that they, I think, feel like they don't want to do it because they're scared of of not being able to navigate that without their mum. And I think that is a big, yep. big um, experience that a lot of women share, a very common yep. one. And I know even for myself, I've had, yeah, I've got one daughter and I don't know if I want a, a second child, but also the thought of having one without my mum there is, is just it's horrifying yeah. for me and it almost <laughs> makes me not want to in fear of not being able to cope because I think yep. you know it probably brings up all of your grief as well yes and that's what, and I do hear that and um, I, a lot of people I have a lot of conversations with people especially through the group that I run and that is a common thread that there is that fear and then there's that sort of that grief does rise up beyond having the baby for sure because it's just a reminder of the loss that you've that you've had, and I think, I guess when we when we become mothers ourselves, we suddenly realise, you know, for I guess for once in our life, we actually really need some help. Like it is a really tough job, and not one you can do on your own. And 
normally in a good relationship, I think that's where your mother sort of steps in with, with great joy. And knowing that you could have had that is that, yeah, it brings about an entire new kind of experience of grief and anger. Maybe it might be helpful to sort of be aware of that before going, you know, into the stage of motherhood because I guess for some it must come as quite a shock. And and I think as well there's that fear, especially women who lose their mums young, there's that fear of not knowing how to be a mum, not being able to kind of recall on how you were raised and those little Losing things. that, that role model. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and that again. So I think you just need to have, you do, you need to have people around you to support you through all of that and awareness that it's going to perhaps, not always, but perhaps bring about, you know, a whole, a whole new feeling that you weren't expecting and one that you need to sort of work through. And that, But yeah, it's certainly not something that ever goes away, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think there's that huge void that potentially yeah. some people think by having a child, it might fill it, which I don't think is the case. And mm. that can be quite a, a hard awakening as well. Mm. If you do choose to have a child to try and fill that void of losing your mum and then yeah, unfortunately. Mm. And, there's, and there's nothing like a baby to make you feel vulnerable. And I mean, yeah. you know, a lack of sleep, you're suddenly, you're suddenly not looking after yourself how you used to. So you're already sort of coming at it feeling less than. So, you, yeah, you really do need the people around you. Just And even a conversation perhaps just beforehand, because everyone, people don't understand sort of how you're feeling unless you tell them. And maybe if you just sort of give people a bit of a heads up that, you know, this, this may trigger some things and, or, or, you know, you may need some extra support when that baby comes and people like to help, you know, so it's important to just sort of give them the opportunity to do so. Yeah. And I do think on the plus side, there are some amazing, you know, experiences with having a baby when you are grieving, they do bring about a lot of joy. And like you said, you know, in the funeral, in the moment where everybody's feeling really sad, you know, the kids can come out with crazy things that just takes you out of it. They snap you out of it for a minute. So there are some really great benefits to also having a child dealing with, with great distraction. Good distraction. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you decide to write without my mum? When I, yeah, when I lost mum, there sort of wasn't the online network that there is now. I think I'm trying to remember back to 2008. I remember there was Facebook, but it certainly wasn't anything that people were madly going crazy about. And there certainly wasn't anything that led from that or, you know, there weren't forums or things like that. So I at that point didn't have anyone close by who'd lost their mum. My mother-in-law had um, at a similar sort of age, but, you know, I didn't have anyone of my current age that I could sort of say, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And so I think I felt that I really wanted to provide something for even just one woman who felt the same way because it just seemed unfair that I couldn't, talk to anyone or just offload how I was feeling to anyone who'd actually completely understand me. So it took a while to kind of come about. At the same time, I went off and did um, my nursing diploma. So I was sort of juggling the two at the time, but it took shape. I wanted it to relate to lots of people because my experience is not someone else's experience. And at the same time, I also wanted to share sort of that utter devastation and and you know sadness that you feel when you lose something but on the other hand also oddly the gains that you get from 
when you've been challenged as much as you are when you lose someone that you love. So that was kind of my section. There's three sections to the book. And in the middle section, I felt it would be important to get stories from other women so that there would be some kind of connective situation that people could definitely or or hopefully relate to snippets of other people's stories. Uh, And then the third part I thought was quite important and is specifically for women who are mothers and don't have their mother. And I wanted to provide that village, as we call it, in a text format and just get advice from real mums, you know, walking the walk, just sort of to help those that might be kind of really battling with certain stages of bringing up their children and might have some questions or doubts. And this this would offer them that support that, you know, maybe the phone call to their mum would have done. So my hope was that it would be picked up and, you know, maybe not all areas of the book would be useful, but hopefully one or two. And yeah, and it was quite cathartic as well. And I guess it also put me in touch with a lot of other people who'd lost their mums. And, and that in itself proved to me that by relating to other people and having conversations, you're you're taking a lot of pressure off yourself and you're realising you're not alone in this. And there are people who've been through something similar and they've survived. And, you know, you can take a lot of inspiration from that and a lot of strength from that. So, yeah, I guess I hoped that the end result would offer that strength to other women. So that was that was really the, the main reason behind it. And I think it really does. Like having read your book, you know, we both really took a lot of comfort from not only reading your personal story, but the stories of others as well. And I guess oh, I'm glad. with your private Facebook support group, um, which is mm. also called Without My Mum, did you establish that soon after your book was published? Yeah, it came around the same time. And it was actually the idea of one of the women who contributed to the book. And she said, have you considered creating something as an extension and I thought that's a great idea and you know I'm not very tech savvy so I thought how on earth do I do that and then I realized you can create Facebook groups and sort of looked into that and realized you can lock them or you know i.e they can be private and so I thought look I'll give it a shot and it just took off and it is an amazing I'm so proud of it it's got about four and a half thousand women in it now it is a very very supportive and lovely space it's just a, it's just an area where someone can, you know, vent or and, – and quite often someone anything someone says you can really relate to. And then, you know, every so often – and this, I think, gives me a lot of comfort – a woman will ask to join and she's currently losing her mum. And I think, gosh, if I had that at the time where I was sort of, you know, looking at the calendar every day and wondering – you know, what day will it be that my mum dies and what am I supposed to do? I just thought that would have just been so helpful to me. So I just, when I see women, and I, and I encourage that absolutely because it's not, it's not just the loss. It's, you know, the, the loss kind of occurs prior to the death itself, you know, in these situations. And you know, I just think it's wonderful that women are supported in, in both those areas of, of the trauma. So it, it's, I'm very, very proud of it. And, yeah, it's just beautiful. I was an early member of your without, or not an early member, but early in my grief, I joined your Facebook group, and I think that oh, is where awesome. I found out about your book. So cool, yeah, um, yeah. that's great. Um, we'll provide the link in our show notes to your private Facebook group, so any listeners great. that might want to join know where to find it. And Lee, what advice would you give to a mother who is experiencing mother loss? Oh, be kind to yourself. You just have to. Yeah, I think 
there's there's no rush. It's going to be a shattering thing. There's no other way to explain it. Be very honest to people that are around you about how you're feeling. It, and I think that's I think we often expect people to be able to step in and help. And it's a funny thing because they they want to, but they don't want to step on your toes. But you're waiting for them to come and step in and help you. So if you need to reach out and ask for help, you must do it. Take your time. There's no rush. And don't be down on yourself if you're going through a real roller coaster of emotions because there's no right or wrong way to do it. And I think journaling is a wonderful idea too to have that space that's just yours and, you know, just pouring out your feelings into a journal, which you'll actually look back on later and and you know some of the things you'll just you'll you'll remember vividly and some you won't and I think the biggest thing is to just really let those feelings come out like let them let them have time to rise up and come out and um you you just can't suppress this stuff but be really kind you know hot baths and chocolate and in my case it was far too much wine but you know you do what you've got to do the ciggies and the yeah. wine I read that in your book can relate oh my god yeah. I still yeah. I still have a, a love-hate relationship with wine but I think most I shouldn't say most women I think it's a common thing oh absolutely <laughs> yeah. and you read about you know you read about people saying be good to yourself and you know try to mm. stay away from alcohol but I was like give me all the red wine I need it <laughs> yeah look and, and I mean and that's valid you you do want you want to numb yourself from the pain and that's a valid thing I mean anyone you know uh, I don't you know I don't hide from that it was wine helped for quite some time and then it's uh, and then at a point it didn't but yeah and that's where it's important to uh, unfortunately process Mm, so true what advice would you give to a partner who is supporting a mother who's experienced mother loss ah just be gentle there's just there there can't be any expectations you're you know I guess the partner is going to experience emotions from from that woman who that they can't even preempt and it's everything that's happening is meant to be happening but I think especially the days that we all have to experience ongoing the Mother's Days, the birthdays, the Christmases and the things that those big moments that we're now surrounded by such huge media in the lead up. And then mm. it, although we can enjoy them, there is that pang of loss that sort of rises up again. So I think if the partner is aware that that day may not go how they imagine it's going to go, there might be some odd, you know, emotional reaction to that. And that's okay. Just sort of be prepared for that and lots of lots of support and hugs and and definitely no pressure on the time that it's going to take for that woman to be able to, you know, feel strong again. And, you know, as people like to say, get over the loss. I don't think we ever get over it. We just sort of, we get on with it. And we, um, unfortunately, we end up getting used to it. But it's just, it's absolute support and love and just acceptance, I think, is the, is the most important thing. It Absolutely. Can, it can be such a tough job supporting your partner oh, through so this type of loss. And I think it's such a significant loss for a woman to go through and it can mm. put a lot of added pressure onto your relationship, which yep. I think people do need to recognise that that is common. And especially, yep. you know, people like us going through navigating being a new mum already puts a lot of pressure on the relationship, but then losing your mum is a whole nother, you yep. know, ball game. And I think, 
just understanding that and being easy yeah. on yourself as well and letting your partner off the hook sometimes. <laughs> oh, and look, and I mean, I, oh, the, the first number of Mother's Day, they were horrendous. I was horrendous. And I, and it wasn't, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to be. I remember sort of thinking, okay, Lee, you know, Mother's Day's coming and you're a mum and your kids are excited. And it's going to be okay. It's fine. And it just all, it would just like snowball without even, I wouldn't even feel like I was in control of anything. And it was just this overwhelming anger that would rise mm. up on Mother's Day. Um, and it certainly, I've got better at that. I've never been one to fuss anyway for Mother's Day. I find it, I find the fuss a bit difficult but that's me but I still I still feel that loss but it's not it doesn't overwhelm me now I'm so used to it but I think as well one of the most important things that I did in reaction to that is to try and tailor the day how I wanted to so not be swayed by the media or you know extended family of what I should be doing on Mother's Day I actually kind of dug the heels in at a point and said do you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do for Mother's Day. And that by all means didn't mean my husband couldn't see his mother. He has freedom to do that as well. But I certainly stopped being kind of dragged around to this and to that because I just couldn't do it. And that made a massive difference in how I handled the day. And, you know, if it meant that I ended up sort of, you know, lying in bed watching a show on TV, well, that's what I did because that's what I wanted to do that day. So it's, I think that's a really important thing to to note for days like that it's it's difficult to deal with that day on top of if you're also doing something that you're not comfortable to do so I hope that everybody around you can kind of give you that grace to be able to say look I'm out for a bit you know I'm not give me a couple of years or something and I'll you know I'll come back (laughs) it's a tough one that one good advice and so important to honor yourself and just go with what you need especially on those tough days yeah. Tell us about the new edition of Without My Mum. I've I've got the, the rights of the book back, which I've sort of wanted for a while, and it's given me the power to be able to delve in and, and give it a little bit of a facelift. So I've developed a new cover, which I'm really in love with, and got my mum on the front, which I think is just so wonderful. I'm sort of restructuring it so it's more set about in a chapter format and easy for people to go straight to the spot that they're wanting to go that may relate to them more than other areas. So very easy to open and just flick straight there. It's also coming with some really wonderful grief and trauma support by a fabulous grief researcher called Dr. Sarah Wayland. And she actually did the foreword in my original edition. So I've known her for quite some time, but she's just got a very beautiful way of writing and a very very smart lady and she's bringing some practical advice and tips and explanations about some of the common themes that we go through when we lose somebody and also sort of touching on things that aren't often spoken about like childhood loss and teenage loss and things like that so I'm really really excited about this next edition coming out it will I'll be able to let it go forever then and I won't feel like I need to sort of do anything extra to it. I I feel it'll be extremely connective and practical and exactly sort of what my older self wants of it now. And, yeah, so I'm really hoping that I'll be able to get it out to December. I'm pushing really hard, but, yeah, that's just obviously the world's not really working in favour at the moment of anything that you want to do. 
Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been so wonderful to speak to you and we have been big fans of your book for, well, I would say a long time, but, you know, for the for the length of time that our mums have been gone. So it's been a real yeah. pleasure to talk to you. It's been an absolute pleasure and I hope, I hope my dog snoring hasn't um, taken over my voice in the... Not at all. <laughs> at my feet snoring away. Oh, Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you, Lee. Thanks, girls, and good on you for what you're doing. And I, I really I love what you're doing, and I'm a fan, and I, I will be listening at everyone that you release. So good on you, girls. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. If you have enjoyed listening to Good Morning, please don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. And if you can leave us a rating or a review, everything really helps. And if you know someone who might benefit from listening to this podcast, please spread the word about Good Morning. Good Morning.